This episode of the Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Sales Leadership United. Since 2019, Sales Leadership United has grown to become the largest collection of sales leadership assets in the world. Check out salesleadershipunited.com and tap into tools used by elite sales leaders worldwide. Accelerate your leadership development. Solve modern sales challenges. Use fully prepped sales meetings in your next team meeting. Thousands of hours of sales leadership materials indexed and searchable with a single click. Create your own personal sales leadership library. Head to salesleadershipunited.com and use the code ROB at signup to get a free trial on me. Hi, I'm Rob Jepson, and my mission is to help sales leaders everywhere create record-setting growth from the companies they lead. I'm here to share the secrets of the world's most successful sales leaders. I don't care how big the company or how big the team, we showcase sales leaders who are taking what the market gives and then some. This show features leaders of teams who are beating their markets, winning at crazy rates, and creating life-changing years for the people they lead. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by Sales Leadership United, the world's largest collection of sales leadership assets. Be sure to check out the all-new salesleadershipunited.com. Fast-track your sales leadership development, gain insights into how other sales leaders are solving challenges similar to the ones you face, and tap into over 400 leadership topics, hundreds of video insights, battle-tested leadership frameworks, and new material that comes out every single week. Sales Leadership United is the easiest investment in yourself you'll ever make. Head to salesleadershipunited.com, use the code ROB at signup, and get a free trial on me. Now, get ready for some serious insights from sales leaders who are making it happen. And remember, don't worry, we got you. Hello, and welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, where high-growth sales leaders share high-growth practices and tactics. Man, the show continues to grow so fast. Last month was the biggest month in show history. And I love your DMs. Please keep them coming. I love when you share your story of how these conversations I have with the elite leaders around the world help you in your career. And, and right now, thank you to so many of you who have reached out after hearing my story about my ongoing battle with cancer. Uh, that was a difficult uh, episode to record. And to have so many people reach out means a lot to hear that maybe it's been helpful to a few people. And in this case, so many, thank you. But I want to talk about today. Today, we are in for a really fun conversation. I have been chasing this guest for nearly two years, trying to get him on the show. He's been a sales leader I've had my eyes on for a while now. And recently, he's starting turning even more heads as he's doubled down on some important sales leadership skills in the modern environment. The leader I'm talking about, it's Keith Waitman. Regional VP of National Accounts at Bullhorn. Now, Keith leads a wildly successful team selling CRM to the staffing industry. And while the growth he's fueled at Bullhorn has won its share of accolades and turned more than its share of heads, he's also become, at least to me, a must-follow sales leader as he shares his insights of what has fueled his growth through all kinds of market conditions. Seriously, if you aren't following Keith yet, I hope you will be by the time you finish listening to this episode. Because as much as I've benefited from his sales leadership insights around tools and techniques, recently he's been changing the way people think about visual communication. His point of view around ways to connect and communicate are something I'm really excited to dive into today. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time, and I am so pumped to get it rolling. Keith, welcome to the Sales Leadership Podcast, and thank you so much for joining me. Oh man, thanks so much for having me. I'm super excited for for the conversation. I'm I'm glad we could finally work out the schedules and I'm excited for today, man. Fire it up. 
Let's go. This is going to be a good one. I, our, our, our guests, our, our listeners are in for a really great experience because what we're going to talk about is timely, man. So why don't we start by just having you introduce Bullhorn. we got 50,000 listeners around the world. Introduce them to Bullhorn and what you guys do for your customers and, and what your role is there. Yeah, for sure. So I, I'm the RVP of National Accounts with Bullhorn. And what Bullhorn does is we offer, as you mentioned, CRM and a suite of products specifically for staffing and recruiting firms to manage basically the entire life cycle of their business from candidate intake to pay to client management. And I, I, in January, I'll be celebrating 11, 11 years, which is, which is crazy. Right. Uh, But it it goes to show you, you know, if a, if a sales leader or salesperson stays somewhere that long, which is uncommon these days, you know, I was lucky to find a great company with a great culture and, you know, I'm going to continue to ride the wave as long as they'll let me. You know, for the, our listeners, you probably already know this, the data that's recently come out shows that the average tenure of a VP level that's of sales continues to drop. It's down to around 17 months is the one that I've seen most recently. I've heard some people say it's down to 16. So for you to be there for 11 years, that's something I hope that made eyebrows go up for people that who see the video of this. My eyebrows are going up right now. I hope, I hope your head turned aside, your eyebrows go up. Eleven years in a, in leadership positions in the same company is uncommon, and and I can't wait to dive into some of the things that have helped have your success. So kudos to you, congratulations, brother. How about one other high level question just to get started? I always am looking for the person who said I want to be in sales when I grow up. I after five years of doing this, I still don't find that person. I find most people are accidentally involved in sales and then we fall in love with it and then we get intentionally successful. Uh, what, what, what drew you to sales? So like you mentioned, total accidentally fell into sales. So I graduated college with a degree in classical and jazz guitar performance. So I was teaching teaching guitar seven days a week and doing some, some gigs. And, you know, my parents were like, Hey, this music stuff is great, but you know, maybe you want to get a job to pay back some of those student loans. And I ended up putting my resume on monster at the time. I got a call from a staffing agency that was looking for a sales and recruiter. And I went and talked to the leader. We really hit it off. And, you know, the rest is history. I I, I stayed there for about three years and I got into the software world and I've been there ever since. So I accidentally fell into it and found a passion for it. And the rest is history, as they say. That's yeah, the greatest career in the world if you do it right. It can be the worst otherwise. And so when I meet people like you that are so successful for so long, I'm always interested in that story. So we're going to run out of time fast. This is an important conversation. We're going to run out of time fast. So I want to I want to hit it. Um, you're a really successful sales leader. Been in, in seat for 11 years. Uh, a market leader in the in the in, in the in that vertical area that you serve. Uh, I, I'm a fan. I'm familiar with your product. I've looked at it. Uh, you guys have a great tool, great company, and and great leadership. As a really successful sales leader, as we are recording this in October, um, and I'm going to release it pretty close to recording day, I think. What are you seeing right now? What what what's got your attention? What what are the things that you've had to be really mindful of as you not only have had a successful year, but as you go into this home stretch, what are the things that are top of mind for you right now that you're seeing? Yeah, for me, it's a lot around. So I'll first start out by saying we've come off 
two record years previously because our industry follows the industry that we serve. And staffing yep. recruitment was on an excellent trajectory. This year has been completely different. And the, the industry that was previously going growing at 34% is now projected to be down 10%. So we've had to do a lot of pivoting ourselves. And I know that you and I had talked about it previously is like deal volume is way down. Sales cycles are elongated. The economy, there's a lot of uncertainty. But for me, it's about controlling what you can control and executing. And execution is what we can focus on. Right. So a lot of what we've done is really double down on the basics, the fundamentals of discovery, questioning, mutual action plans, uh, deal reviews. We use Speed 3D, very similar to Medic, but it's when the deals that are winnable, which I, you know, I heard from one of your previous podcasts, and I love that. So we're really focused on all of the little things that we need to get right. Uh, and controlling what we can control. Well, I like that. I think I think this is going to resonate with a lot of people because you're right. Pipelines are down across the board. There's a lot. There, I, sh I guess I shouldn't say that. Some people, some industries are seeing opposite, and that will always be the case. But generally speaking, win rates are lower. Percentage of reps hitting goal is lower. Um, building pipeline is harder. It's more expensive. Uh, it's taking longer win rates are something that we should be looking at if we haven't. And so I, I, I love that that's where you're, you're looking is what do we do to address this con this what's happening? And you're right. When what's winnable is one of my favorite things to look at and, and execution. And you've mentioned a few tools like mutual action plans, et cetera. So as a leader, that's entering this home stretch. And, and we also want to make sure we're starting next year with a rolling start. I, I'm wondering what are the things, some of the things that you're seeing be helpful in this execution focus, helping win what's winnable, controlling what you can control. Is there like a place that you like to start relative to let's make sure we can take care of the business that we have in front of us? Is there is there a starting point there? Yeah, I mean, I think you can look at it a couple of different ways. Like on the on the net news side, you know, I'm a big believer on you have to go narrow to go wide. So getting really focused on the ICP versus just filling your pipeline because someone says there's potential interest or they doubt, you know, they requested the demo and being, you know, I try to get my team to be ruthless qualifiers, really ruthless disqualifiers, because we need to weed out those that are just kicking tires or not really serious with, again, where do we win? And what's our ICP? So that's what we're really focused on the on the net news side, getting really narrowly focused. And then on our existing customers is how can we give them the most value out of the product that they're utilizing today while also opening their eyes to other areas that we can serve them that will get us more share of wallet. Now we're we're lucky that we've got a pretty wide portfolio of products. So we're not just yeah. one solution. We've got areas that we can tag on as well as marketplace partners, which are very similar to like an app exchange with Salesforce. So a lot of focus on expanding the share of wallet that way with our existing clients. So that makes me think of something. And, and this is my favorite part of when I talk to leaders like you is we never know where it's going to go. And here's the first one um, right now. 
everyone's trying to win what's winnable, right? Everyone is. Like, I got a phone call. I got a text last night. I was with my family and I got a text from one of my clients saying, I got a sales meeting in the morning. We don't have enough pipeline to hit our goal, our year-end goal. What should we talk about? I, I was like, all right, like, that's a weird thing for me to get. 12 hours before your sales meeting, but that's okay. It just shows me that there's a lot of people that are thinking about this right now. So sometimes salespeople try to create urgency. I see people talk about that. How do you create urgency? And I, I don't love the idea of us trying to create urgency, but can we tap into what they prioritize is a totally different conversation. And if you're going to win what's winnable, I have to imagine that we're connected to something that matters. Any leadership insights on how you help the members of your team do that? Or I guess I should ask, do you even see that? Is that something that you're seeing or am I off in left field on that one? No, I totally agree with you. And I, I'm a, I'm a big believer too, that you don't, you can try certain ways to create urgency, but it can't be manufactured, right? The urgency has to be tied to the problem that needs to be solved. And if there's no urgency on the customer side to solve the problem, then you've got to work on their timeline. You can't create artificial urgency by saying, hey, well, I mean, we all know this, right? We've been there like, hey, if you sign by the end of the month, you get this discount. You know, if they come to you on the second day of the month and they want that same deal, most likely they're going to get that deal because they're trying to close, you know, close the, the business. So it's more about aligning the urgency with the problem that they're trying to solve to get, you know. So that's to me when it comes down to how do I win right now? Well, too many times when I start looking at people's, the way that they look at deals, people are starting to do a better job of saying, what's the problem? But Jay-Z has a famous song that I'm going to quote and I'm going to change the end of it. He says, I got 99 problems, but your pitch ain't one. Okay. And, um, and so our pitch is not their problem. And they got a whole bunch of problems. The question is, can we can we make sure that the problem that we help solve is one that's prioritized? And I, I think that that's a big thing this time of year. If we're going to win what's winnable, we better make sure that we have alignment on the priority, not the problem, the priority and why it matters. And and as you help your team do that, have, have you found that there's anything that you can that you found is helpful in helping them do that? I'm sorry that this is like a little off off where we're going to go, but I think it fits to what you're talking about. Yeah, I, I think it goes back to teaching them to be effective with asking questions and asking questions and not being afraid to ask the questions of the answers that they don't want to get, right? A lot of times we won't ask a question because we're afraid of the answer that they're going to give back. I heard a, a great quote not too long ago from my friend Nate Nasrallah, which he got from, and I'm forgetting the original source, but you know, executives have fires all throughout the year, and they've got to determine what fires they let burn and what fires they need to go put out. So it's really helping the buyer in asking the buyer, is this one of those fires that we need to put out because it's blocking an executive level priority? Or is this something that is a problem, but it may not necessarily be a priority at this time? This is good because you're right. You, you made me think about like, I know that 
like I live in Utah, we have a lot of mountains and forests here. And sometimes there'll be a fire that starts from lightning or whatever. And, and sometimes they choose to let it burn. They say it's, it's, it's one that we're going to have be a controlled burn. We're not going to put that one out. Other ones like you have to put them out. And so this is a really good visual that I hope we got 50,000 listeners listening to you as we're going into this home stretch. And you're right. Deal volumes are down. Win rates are challenging. A lot of people try to win by saying, well, I'll just give you a better deal. And they try to create, I love what you called it. I wrote it down. It's it's a, it's a term that we may even find a way to put into our title. You called it artificial urgency. We're in a world where there's AI, artificial intelligence, but there is no uh, AU, artificial urgency. Don't let don't don't fall into that trap because you don't get to make artificial urgency because then you're in the persuasion business and all you do is get someone to do something that maybe they regret. I I like what you're talking about. Talk about this fire and why it needs to be put out. Um, that's, I love the idea. Any advice to all these listeners, like things that they could do with their reps to, to help them go make sure they're having that conversation. Cause right now you want to make sure you're having the fire conversation now, rather than in mid December when you're hoping to get it signed before the year ends. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think what I do is probably not different than many other leaders. I make time every morning. So I've got Right now, I've got a team of 16 that, that are under me just in my division. Yep. And I make time every single morning to go listen to call recordings. Like if I can't be on a call with a customer, because that's where I like to be. You know, I like to spend my time in deals in front of customers. But coaching is a big thing for me because we can't just go tell a rep, hey, you need to ask these hard questions, but they don't know how or where in the conversation to bring it up or like we'll go back and listen to calls it's like sports right it's watching the game tape and understanding the things that they did really well or the things that they need to you know close the gap on or hey they mentioned this i think we may be positioning the wrong product based on what i'm hearing what do you think and then so to me it's around coaching like i'm a big call recording fan and having one-on-ones with the rep to upskill and get them comfortable. We do a lot of role-playing as well. I know some people hate role-playing, but I think it's a great way to practice in a safe environment versus practicing in front of a customer and potentially, you know, you can ward off any mistakes that they would make in front of them, you know. With, with well, I love that you said that. Like I, To me, that's a really important thing. So not only are you creating alignment to the priorities and you're not afraid to have the fire conversations. Uh, I'm going to refer to it that way because I love that analogy so much. It's a really great analogy because every single person listening to this will have some clients that are having some fires they have to put out and they have other fires. They will, that they're just going to have to choose to let burn. And there's a difference between being a priority and being a, and being not, I mean, there are priorities and there are nuisances. We don't fund nuisances. We fund priorities. So I, I love that. But I also love this idea of observation. I have a, one of the things I have this belief in is I have 20 choices that elite leaders have to make that average ones sometimes don't make. One of those choices is observed data is equal to or greater than recorded data. And too often, all we look at is the call volume or the sales results or all of these things. And an overused analogy is the iceberg. You see 10, 15, maybe 20% above the water, but the rest is below. And if all we look at is the sales activity and sales results, it's hard to miss those things. And so I love that you're going to moments of observation. 
One of your observation tools sounds like is call recordings. And you listen to that, you bring it into coaching. How important is observation for you as a leader? And the reason I ask is I think observation used to be a lot more prevalent. And then when COVID hit, I found that it died off a little bit. And, it, and observation, I think, is one of those hallmarks of an elite leader. I'd love to get your thoughts about why observation is so important to you. I mean, for me, it's like top, one of the top three on the list, right? It Because I'll give you a perfect example. So we just launched a new product not too long ago. And so, you know, like most reps do, they go take that product. They try to get it out in front of as many people as possible. So a lot of volume and activity, but the results weren't there. And I had some of my leaders underneath me saying, hey, we're just not getting any traction here. Like people seem to like it, but it doesn't seem like it's moving. I'm like, okay, have we taken a listen to the messaging or how we are actually presenting the product? Mm-hmm. So that was, a, like, we've got all this activity. It's great. We've got all these demos, but it's not converting to close one deals. So then we go back and listen to the messaging and it's like, okay, well, here's probably the reason the way that we're pos- positioning it is, we're selling a product, we're not solving a problem or we're not understanding or coming in with a frame of reference or a hypothesis of here are the challenges that our customers are seeing. Here's why we're bringing this product to market because these are the problems it solves. So we've had to go back and revamp our messaging. So when we go back to, you know, as you asked about observation, if we never took the time to go back and understand you know, we're just going to say, hey, you need to do more activity then, or you need to make more calls and more, more demos. It's not, we got to go refine the message and close the gap on that. Yeah, I'm really glad you went there. This is fun. Like, again, I love that we're going places that maybe we didn't think we we're going to go. This this idea of you called it this hypothesis. I, I have a horrible title for this. I call it the informed hypothesis. Uh, I need to figure out a better way to do it. But I think that you're onto something we need to take to our customers an informed hypothesis. As I work with other staffing organizations, the three things that they care about are one, two, and three. Does this sound like you? Or do you have those figured out already? And that's a way that I found of having people see that you're different than just another salesperson because you're bringing perspective to the table. And, and leaders that help their people have an informed hypothesis usually have calls that are more impactful. And I love that you brought that up. Is that something that you help your team do is create those hypotheses when they take those to your prospects? Yeah. And I, I learned this one, I learned this one way of phrasing it from Chris and Connor, who I met through my journey on, on LinkedIn, but you know, it, it was phrased this way. Like when I talk to customers, they're either looking to capitalize or catch up. Right. So if they're looking to catch up, it's because X, Y, and Z, these market conditions, this is what our customers are seeing, or they're on the completely opposite side of the spectrum and they're killing it and they're looking how they can go and grow more market share and capitalize on their position in the market. Curious to understand where you fall within those two. That's an awesome way. That's going to be a clip that we put into Sales Leadership United for sure, the video of that. That'll be That'll be a good one. That's a great training. As you've capitalized on that, I bet you that's been something you've had a lot of fun, like turning into role plays. You mentioned role plays. The reason that some people don't like role plays is because they feel like they're just going through motions. I'm with you. I love practice. I love creating a practice zone and a you know and a, and an actual selling zone, an improvement zone. And so I like this idea because you're helping them find ways to connect to priorities differently. 
And that's a different kind of role play because now they're practicing something that they can say, I can see myself doing that. And so I love that. Like, do you find that when you do those types of practice moments that you find that people are like, this is actually really relevant because I'm practicing this hypothesis question. Is that, has that been helpful getting your people to say, yes, I'm in on that? Yeah, I think it gives them confidence when they go into these conversations, right? Because what does a typical average rep do in a discovery or a first call with a customer? Tell me, tell me about, you know, tell me about why we're here today or tell me about your goals or your challenges. And you're putting all of that on the buyer, yeah. right? Yeah. And they've probably talked to like four or five other sales reps and they're like, okay, here we go again. Versus a sales rep that comes in and says, hey, look, like we're, we're here to learn about, about you is it okay if I give you my perspective of what I'm hearing in the market? Cause there's usually two different things and you go through that, you know, are you trying to capitalize or catch up? And then that helps facilitate the conversation where you're coming in with a unique point of view. So you come off as, Oh, this person's credible. They actually understand the industry and what's going on and what they're seeing versus, Hey, tell me about, you know, tell me about your business. Right. Yeah. There was an old long time ago. I know I'm the senior citizen between you and me here, but like long time ago, like a, a very common question that people were trying to ask was what keeps you up at night and 2005 called and they want that question back. And we shouldn't be asking that because that's lazy selling to your point. I love that. So I did a whole, I did a whole, uh, as you know, you know, big visual seller. So I did a whole whiteboarding on the dumb thing, you know, dumb phrases that salespeople say. That's one of those questions, like what keeps you up at night? Or if you had a magic wand and you could, you know, what would you change? Uh, yeah, there's a whole list of those that we should probably throw out. And the, yeah, we should, we should make that available to people. We'll put it, let's put it somewhere. Let's put a link to it in the show notes so people can see your list of dumb things. That'd be a fun thing for leaders to use in a training. Let's have fun with this thing from Keith because you are, and we're going to get there. Let's shift off of this. I want two things I want. Like, I can't believe we're down to 20 minutes. Um, I want, you mentioned mutual action plans. I've done an episode on mutual action plans, but I find that it's still not used as prevalently as people think. And in a time when every deal matters, I think a mutual action plan is a tool that is really helpful. Would you share your thoughts on mutual action plans as a sales leader? Yeah, I, I think the key word that we that you said there is mutual, right? If your reps are using it as a close plan, those are the ones that don't work because they're very seller centric. There's they come off as, hey, Mr. or Mrs. Prospect, these are all the things that I need to do in order to close you at the date that I want to close you. Versus mm -hmm. for me, mutual action plans is all about setting the right expectations and communications because no one likes surprises, right? So when you get into a specific stage in your deal, like as a buyer, they want to know what to expect. Like, so we use it as, hey, these are the steps that we typically go on our side because we do this daily. So we know what a successful process looks like, but we want to know all the things that are important to you that we need to incorporate. So as we work towards the timeline that you feel is important, we have a clear picture. So at the end, there's no surprises. Like I know what you need, you know what we need, and we work collaboratively to put this in, in you know, this project in motion. 
So when do you bring a mutual action plan? So I, I know we'll have of our 50,000, we probably got 10,000 that use it. We got 40,000 that don't, something like that, probably. I, you're, again, people that watch the video will see you smiling. I think that's probably close, one in five, probably. So I love that you distinguish between closed plan and mutual action plan. I think that's massive. I don't think that's semantic at all. I, I, I think we could do a whole episode just on that, but I want to have like a few minutes on this. I think people will really like it. When do you bring a mutual action plan to the table in your sales process? When have you found the right time is to bring that to the table? I feel like it's typically when we go into a discovery phase and that's where we typically bring it up at, to set it early because what doesn't work is you get all the way to the end and you're like, oh man, I've got like three weeks to close this thing. Let's put a mutual action plan right. to get in. That's when it feels like it's a it's a Close sales. Yeah, exactly. So we try to bring it up very early of like, hey, this is our first meeting of many. We're going to spend a lot of time together. And what I found as a sales rep is my buyers don't like surprises. So I like to be completely transparent of all the steps that we need to take on our end. And I also know in my experience, you're probably going to have a legal review. You're going to have security. You're going to have, you know, a bunch of things that you need to do on your end that I should be aware of too. So there's no surprises and we can work together. And these are dates that are fluid, right? And we come up with the dates together. And at the end of the day, it's a sales rep that owns the mutual action plan. I know we've got, there's feedback on, well, our customers just don't use it. They're not going to go in and update it. Well, they probably shouldn't. But th that's not an excuse for you not to set proper expectations on, like, you're the quarterback of the deal. Go quarterback the deal. So, Keith, I love that. I'm I'm a big fan of of having a method to your madness of how you use summary emails. And I, I have a point of view on how you do that. And I found that a good mutual action plan involves using summary emails. And we're going to spend a minute on this at the end because you gave me a summary email in a visual way that's one of the coolest ones I've ever seen. And I want to make sure that we share that. We have enough time on that. But but this mutual action plan, you're right. If we bring it in at the very end, I, I think you're right. It feels like it's a closing technique. And I think closing techniques, again, are something from a long time ago that the 90s called and wants it back, you know, and and I don't like using the word persuasion as part of what we do because we shouldn't be professional persuaders. That's why I'm a fan of the mutual action plan. I love that you said you bring it up early. In fact, I think I know what the title of our episode is now. It's I, I wrote down, my buyers don't like surprises. Everything we've talked about is about removing surprises and letting people feel like they're going on a journey that they're excited about and is important. It's not a fire they want to burn. It's a fire they want to put out. All the things you talk about fits into that. I love if we can teach our, our people that part of this journey is, okay, sounds like there's a fire that's worth putting out right? Sounds like it's something that I can understand why it matters to you. It's not what's the ROI of my product. It's what is the reason for putting that fire out? Those are to totally different things. Yeah. We help lots of people put these fires out. Usually when we put these fires out, these are the things that have to happen. In addition to what I've said, what are the things that we would need to happen in yours? You do that early and and then you start using that as that GPS. And is that what I heard you say? Because that sounds like a totally different thing than Here's like, we're, we're going to put you in a vice and, and commit you to this date that we got to get it closed by. Did, did I hear it right? You summarize it better than I did. I, I When I look at all the deals that either stall, slip, we lose, a lot of it comes back down to communication. 
it's misaligned communication, expectations from the, the buyer thought one thing, the rep felt another thing. And it's really about getting on the same level playing field of what needs to be done as part of this evaluation. And again, it, it comes down to communication and it's no different than anything else in life, right? Like when I, when I have arguments with my spouse, it's usually because I, you know, my communication, like she has an expectation of me that I don't meet. And so maybe that's part of my sales learning skills is my, you know, <laughs> you know, interactions with my, my spouse and, you know, being, becoming a better communicator in all areas of life. All right. This is going to set us up for a really strong finish. If we were in the Kentucky Derby, we're rounding that last, that last turn and everybody's like, they're announcing and down the stretch they come. Okay. And this is going to fuel for a really good end, but I love what you just said. It's about uh, that. I, I wrote this down. I'm, I'm really excited about it. Communication fuels deals. Pressure doesn't fuel deals. Communication fuels deals. And that may be a, a no duh, as we say it, but buyers don't feel that way. Buyers, a surprise might be all of a sudden you're pressuring me for a close. I, I love you. They don't like surprises. The best way to not have surprises, better communication. Yes or no? A hundred percent. I mean, it's as simple as, you know, when I see this internally between departments, like our our sales reps with our professional services team. Like if this, if the professional services team says, yes, I'll get that right to you. Like to a rep, that means cool. I'm going to have that in 24 hours, but maybe to the PS team, that's like, yeah, I'll have this to you by the end of the week, but we don't clarify the urgency and why the urgency matters and what's the impact if we don't get it by a certain date. So, and you know, they have infighting and it's like, no, it's not them. That's the problem. Like, it's the communication that's the problem. We got to be very clear and direct on communicating what we need and why. Yeah, this is a really fresh way of looking at things because notice that's not product training and it's not even a technique or a tactic. This mutual action plan as a concept is a way that creates elite levels of communication. If we want elite performance, there's a few things we got to be elite at and one of them should be communication. So I love that. I, I I wish we could spend more time on the mutual action plan. I think that those that 10 minutes is is something that will help people. And it's not something you bring at the end. I like the idea of the sooner you bring it in, the fewer surprises come later. Is that a good summary? Exactly. Okay. Let's shift to the last thing I want to talk about. We got we got about 10 minutes left, and I want to talk about this and I want to give you some chances to to summarize as well. Visual communication. Um, when you communicated with me, man, you gave me a visual summary that I was like, man, if he does this with every one of his customers, no wonder he's a badass and his team does so well. Talk to me about, since we talked about communication is what fuels winning. And we started with, we got to win what's winnable. We, we've got lower deal flows and all these different things we talked about. Then we got into let's communicate in an elite way. Let's make sure that we're connected to the things and we're not having surprises you're really doubling down and I know you're not just talking about it because again, I've experienced it from you in a way that made me say, I could see why a customer would like this. Talk to me a little bit about com visual communication. Um, communication's changed. It's a noisy world. I'm guessing that you found that's a way of helping cut through some of the noise. Can you just talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Well, so my whole visual selling journey started back in 2009. I was at a, I was a new rep at a software company selling HR payroll software, very green. I went out on a just 
a discovery meeting on site with a senior SE I'd never worked with before. And we get there and he's got this basically an architect tube with him. And I'm like, we have like blueprints in there or something. He's like, you'll see. So we walk in, he unscrews the cap, he pulls out flip chart paper, puts it on the wall. And then we had the most engaging discovery meeting I've ever had because there were no decks. There was no just sitting across the table. He whiteboarded the whole thing. The customer got up and was whiteboarding the process with it. And I was like, holy crap. Like yeah. that's the best thing I've ever been to. I need to learn how to do that. So I went down a really long rabbit hole of learning how to whiteboard and have visual storytelling be part of my selling process. And for me, it goes back to communication, right? So, you know, I believe in the research shows we're highly visual beings. Even we, if someone says, well, I'm an auditory listener, I, I work better kinesthetically. Well, when you're whiteboarding, you actually engage all four of those. It's visual. It's auditory because you got to listen to what the people are saying so you can then draw out what they're saying. You're reading and writing, and then it's kinesthetic. So it's also great for not only communication, but learning, retention, people, you know, picture superiority effect. They did research studies on presentations with text and audio only versus text and pictures. Three days later, people remembered 70% of with pictures and only 10% with just yeah. text and audio. And how big is memory and your message in a selling process. Like if they don't remember what you said or there's no consensus on the message that you said, that's a big, that's a big problem, right? So for me, visual selling is a universal language. Like people that don't speak the same language, if I drew a little box with a triangle, they'd be like, yo, that's a house, right? So it's another way uh, in a form of communication that I love and has been helpful throughout my career. I love what you just said. There's that forgetting curve research has been around for a long time. And, and every year, new research comes out that shows that people forget 90% of what they've learned within like two weeks or with less than a month for sure. Yeah. And the, the, the idea that you just shared that adding visual to it changes it, that hits home. So how do you help your team use visual selling as part of what they do? You're speaking to a lot of sales leaders. You're a ridiculously successful sales leader, uh, 11 years in this company, driving massive success. You've been doing visual selling since, you know, the early 2000s. Um, any advice to our listeners that are leaders like you that are saying, man, how do I do that? Because you're very skilled at it. Any, any, any pointers you'd give them? Well, I, I think, most people don't do it because the biggest excuse is I don't know how to draw and I don't know, you know, I have bad handwriting. Well, that's an excuse because here's an example. I'm left-handed and I know that you've seen some of my light board videos where I draw on like the glass. Yeah. I love those. Because I'm left-handed, I smear. So guess what? Did I say, Oh, I'm I can't too. No, I taught myself how to write right-handed. So when I whiteboard, I actually write right-handed it, it's just like anything in, in life. It's a skill that you have to develop over time. So I just made drawing a daily habit. So, and I'm not talking about artistic drawing. It's ideas, not art. It's communication, not art lesson, right? So if I hear a customer say, we're having a challenge, well, I have a visual vocabulary of how I would draw a challenge, just like you would have 
a language. Like I know what I would draw as soon as I hear it because I practice it every single day. And it helps me retain information better. Like you talked about the visual summary that I did for you. When we got on the call, I already knew I was going to ask you about John Mayer. I already knew that one of your favorite you know, concerts ever was U2. I already knew that you had eight guitars and 18 Stevie Awards. I didn't go back and review my notes. The pictures are like ingrained in my head because that's just how we learn. We're visual, we're visual beings. Let's take this home. We got five minutes left and it went fast and we're going to have to have you come back. And I want to go deep on both of those topics instead of superficially. Um, let's, let's first give you a minute on how do people get more of you? Like, how do they connect to you? Like, I'm telling you, I love when you post, like you have great videos that you make, you have great insights that you give. And this concept of visual selling is something that you are, I don't know other people that have the insights around it that you have. And so you're someone that people should be following. How, how do they get more of you? How do they get what you're putting out? How, how do they do that? The, the, the best way is on LinkedIn. So I, I post every single day at 9.30 a.m. Eastern time. And then on the cool. weekends, I, I take Sunday off. Sunday's my family day. Uh, don't spend any time on social media. Saturday, I will occasionally post at 12. And then I have a weekly newsletter that you can get directly from my LinkedIn profile that I send actionable, like less than three minute read every Saturday at 10 a.m. And it's a way for me as a leader also to keep keep my brain sharp and continue to learn and teach others. Cause you know, the, the whole saying is like, you really learn once you start teaching others. And I've been working on the writing and things like that as a, another way about communication, right? Like the learning never stops. I've been doing this for a long time, but I feel like I'm learning things daily from people that have less experience, more experience. And, you know, I had a conversation with someone. I was like, if I could just get paid to go learn things like, that's like a fun job. Cause I, I love the process of, I love the routine, not the reward. And that's kind of a thing I'd say in, internally is like fall in love with the routine, not the reward. Dude, that's another good one. Fall in love with the routine, not the reward. I like that. So we'll put a link to your, to your LinkedIn in the show notes, and we'll put a link to the subscription for your newsletter, which I endorse. You already know, I, I follow you and I get your newsletter. So it's not like something we'll do just like, I'm telling you, it's a, it's a difference maker. When I see stuff from Keith, I, I, I take, I stop and I look at it. So we've talked about three things. We've talked about winning what's winnable. We've talked about having communication be something that fuels deals and fuels the relationship. And then we talked about taking that communication and adding an element that makes it more memorable, more connective by making it visual. I'd say those are the three things that we really hit today. And 45 minutes went by fast, 15 minutes on each one went by really, really fast, right? Um, final thoughts, you got 50,000 people listening to you. Um, you got any final thoughts that you'd say, like a couple of, of, of things you'd share as we go into this stretch part? Because I am going to prioritize this. I'll scoop this one up and make sure it gets out quick. And I want people to have the opportunity to take some of these things and, and use it this year. Final thoughts? Yeah, I, I think the only thing I would add is for any of the listeners that are interested in visual selling and or if you're also a sales assembly mem member, I'm actually running a course, a crash course on visual selling on October 26th. So if there are any listeners that are sales assembly members, 
I'm actually giving a crash course on that. And I do plan to put out more resources for people on that because, you know, in a time where there's so much noise and you've got to differentiate, I found it to be, even though it's an old school technique, it's, it's cutting through the clutter. Well, let's put a link to that sales assembly class you're teaching and shoot, if this makes people want to join sales assembly so they can attend that, that's a good thing. I'm a fan of sales assembly. Uh, we've had Matt on the show. I, I'm a fan of what these guys do. Uh, and if we have a few listeners here who sign up for sales assembly so they can get that course, I say more power to you. So we'll put a link to register for that on the, in our show notes as well, Keith. Um, Keith, this is awesome. I, 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 I am so grateful that you took the hour of your day to help so many sales leaders around the world. His name is Keith Waitman. Um, he's helping buyers around the world not have surprises. Um, he, he's helping salespeople all around the world fall in love with the routine and not just the results. My advice is to connect to him. My advice is to follow him. My advice is to make sure you're learning like he is and never stop learning. Add visual communication to your bag of tricks and you'll find that you cut through the noise in a meaningful way. Um, Keith, thank you for joining us. I, I hope that you'll join us again sometime again, and you'll become one of our rare repeat guests because your insights are next level. And I appreciate it. So on behalf of 50,000 people, thank you. And as I say to everyone, happy selling. Thanks so much, Rob, for having me. Hey, everyone. Welcome to another So What portion of the Sales Leadership Podcast, where we break down that interview and we ask ourselves, why did that conversation even matter? But first, this episode is brought to you by Sales Leadership United. Since 2019, Sales Leadership United has lived on Patreon and has grown to be the largest collection of sales leadership assets in the world. And I couldn't be more excited to share with you that Sales Leadership United now has its own home. We've moved off of Patreon. You can find us at Sales Leadership United. And I think you're going to have an amazing experience finding just how easy it is to tap into a massive resource center of cheat codes for sales leaders. Listen, I coach over 100 sales leaders. They're in big companies, they're in new companies, they're in every industry. They're people that are new to leadership, new to their company, uh, some of the newest leaders, but also some of the most seasoned sales leaders in the world. And every single one of them wants more tools. They want more insights. They want more perspective. How do you create sense systems? How do you create foundations? How do you create change? Where are the frameworks? How do you coach? How do you lead up or manage up or even connect to a totally different generation? And the number one question I get, what are other leaders like me doing to solve problems like the ones I'm facing? That's why you want to check out Sales Leadership United. Tools, training, techniques, perspective that comes only from thousands of hours with other leaders from all around the world. And if you haven't checked out Sales Leadership United, head to salesleadershipunited.com and use the code ROB to get a free trial. Now, I've been a huge fan of Keith for a long time. I've loved what he's been doing at Bullhorn and been watching it for a while. And I hope you can see why after this killer conversation. I haven't stopped thinking about several things that he shared, but one of them has stuck out. He said it kind of in the middle of the conversation where he said, my buyers don't like surprises. And I think this is a good standard for anything we do as leaders. That's why I made it the title of the episode. My fill in the blank, don't like surprises. Here's what I mean. My team members don't like surprises. My partners don't like surprises. My leaders don't like surprises. My investors don't like surprises. I don't care who it is, but the fewer surprises we give, the more successful we're gonna be in, I think, every single metric. 
There are so many things we need to consider as we try to e reduce surprises. Um, I don't think we'll ever fully eliminate surprises, but we've got to reduce them. And, and then we want the, the size of that blast zone of the surprise to get smaller and smaller and smaller. So the surprise becomes smaller in an order of magnitude. Um, so what, what am I talking about? I'm talking about things like pro process and how we use it, how we create consistency, not just what we prioritize, but how we prioritize things. Troubleshooting and our approach to problem solving. That's just three or four of them off the top of my head. And I guess as I talk about this, what this makes me think about is clarity. Clarity is a tool that every leader needs to be able to learn to use if they want to become elite. Unmistakable clarity solves most challenges. I think that 90% of performance and relationship challenges are related to unmet expectations, unreasonable expectations, or unknown or even unclear expectations. That's something that Mark Smith taught me that I wish I'd learned earlier in my leadership career. So I want to go back to no surprises. Um, you don't even want to have too many positive surprises. It makes me remember one of the worst days I ever had as a leader. Uh, I, I was the person reporting to Wall Street, and I was excited to share that I'd beat our financial guidance pretty significantly. Um, I was excited for it. And as we we're talking to people, uh, I was a little flippant. When they asked how come it was such a big surprise, it was kind of like, I prefer that you would just be grateful that we did it. It was a horrible response um, that led to one of the large Wall Street investors uh, having a pretty negative conversation with our CFO about me, all because I beat the number by too much. Seriously, I was in trouble because it was too good. But they chalked it up to poor leadership because they don't like surprises. So I loved this conversation with Keith. My advice is to go back and take notes on how Keith suggests that you reduce surprises in your pipeline. Uh, reduce surprises in how you win or lose. Reduce surprises in how you recruit or how you coach or how you communicate, how you follow up. All of it. No surprises. That's a lens that we should look through. We should look at everything we do in are we reducing the amount of surprises. Now, this doesn't mean we don't innovate. It just means that we have an operating rhythm. It means we're consistent. I'd suggest you sit down and audit yourself. Where do you see surprises in every part of your job as a leader? Because you shouldn't like surprises either. Where are surprises coming to you from members of your team? Um, and if you can look to your leadership ecosystem to see where surprises are popping up, and it could be anywhere. It, it could be with your team. It could be with your partners. It could be with your leaders. Um, then you're going to be able to start looking at how you reduce variance and you can start creating more consistency. Because I love the quote from Mark Benioff of Salesforce. I, I'm going to get it wrong, but it goes something like this. Consistency trumps moments of brilliance. It's far superior to have consistency than to have these rare moments of brilliance. And I, I know I got it a little wrong, but it's basically that. I think going back and listening to Keith's comments around observation are really important. I would advise you to do this. I, I don't think that people are relying on observed data at least as much as measured data. I think it's more powerful or important than measured data. I'm working on this with a ton of my clients right now, and I've decided that understanding how to use observation is a superpower. It's a superpower you can develop if you want to. In fact, I'm in the middle of finishing a training for Sales Leadership United members about the five superpowers in coaching, and then there's a whole bunch of other superpowers we can develop as well. 
I want you to look below the tip of that iceberg that your reports all provide, you know, the financial reports and the CRM reports. Those are the top of the iceberg. And if you remember, the Titanic didn't sink from the top of the iceberg. It sank from the stuff that was down below. And we as sales leaders need to treat data the same way. Yes, measured and reported data matters. But I think observed data is even more important. Okay, you got to that's what's going to show you why the tip of the iceberg shows up the way that it does. And after this conversation with Keith, it is obvious to me that he has beat the trend of about 18 months for a leader in their seat uh, and why he's in year 11 with Bullhorn is because he doesn't let surprises show up with any regularity. If we have reg uh, surprises show up with too much regularity, we're done. And I think Keith's approach is a really great thing for you to emulate. It'll change your career. So start developing this superpower and you'll see things change around you pretty quickly. Keith, thank you so much for joining me. Congrats on your success. I appreciate you sharing your perspective on creating intentional success regardless of the conditions we face. I love your approach to creating growth and improvement rather than just having that blind effort and pursuit of results. My advice to everyone listening, all 50,000 of us, and yes, I'm proud of the size of our group now, connect with Keith, reach out to him. You'll find he's an incredible resource. I love the things he shares regularly, and you will too. Listen, he's got a number of things. You're going to want to sign up for his newsletter. You're going to want to go access that course that he has. I'm telling you, go take advantage of these resources and mostly just connect to them. You're going to see why I think he's a must-follow sales leader. And uh, I can't wait to get him back on here. And then be sure to check out Sales Leadership United to get the video segments of this. There are some video segments that we will chop up into here that you're going to want to use. You'll also find video segments with other amazing guests of the show, as well as frameworks and things that we're working on to help leaders grow intentionally. I'm going to have several clips from this episode with Keith that will be great leadership resources for you that you're going to want to use. Finally, I want to thank each of you, our listeners. The greatest compliment you can give is to share the show with those that you work with. Introduce them to the Sales Leadership Podcast. Leave a review on iTunes. And you can support the show by checking out Sales Leadership United. Head to Patreon and check it out. You'll be glad you did. Thank you for your support of the Sales Leadership Podcast. Our job as sales leaders is to create life-changing years for the people we lead. If you liked this message, please share it with someone who needs to hear it and then get after it this week because life is short. You got no guarantee of what comes tomorrow. Maximize what you do today, be elite, live strong, and chase your passions, and do your best work so you can live your best life. You got this, and I got you. Have a terrific week. Thank you so much for joining the Sales Leadership Podcast, the award-winning sales leadership podcast for those sales leaders looking to create legendary impact to those they lead. The greatest compliment you can give is to share this show and any of your favorite episodes with your fellow sales leaders, social media followers, or other communities you're part of. The Sales Leadership Podcast is brought to you by the Jepson Performance Group. If you want to discuss any of the topics discussed on the show, want to level up your leadership impact, discuss executive coaching services, or even include me at an upcoming event, hit me up at rob at jetpg.com. That's rob at jeppg.com. And to those of you working to become a legendary sales leader, I salute you and wish you much success on your journey. Whenever you need someone in your corner, you know where to find me.